Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. I don't think we have any updates this week, but we do want to remind everyone to follow us on our Instagram at Curated Chatter. This afternoon, we're recording an interview for our next Curated Chatter Friday feature, our first one of yeah, the new year. Yeah, it's very exciting. So we're so excited to share it with you and definitely be on the lookout for that probably next week. Yes, correct. I feel like this week has felt so long for us because we love to go on long walks for coffee during the day. But since it snowed so much, we weren't able to. And I feel like that just made the days feel longer. So we're just so happy it's finally Thursday. I always say that Anna and I are like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> We need to be walked multiple times a day and we were yeah. snowed in, which was so unfortunate. Yeah, we don't fare well just staying in our apartment, which is sad. It's not good. <laughs> but we, we can dive in, I think. Yes. Our first headline of the week was published by the New York Times, where it was shared that, quote, a Botticelli portrait sells for $92 million at Sotheby's auction. So we actually reported on this story a while ago when it was first announced that Sotheby's was in possession and would be selling the portrait in a future sale. The work is titled Portrait of a Young Man Holding a Roundel and dates to around 1480. What is so exciting is that even though the subject's identity is unknown, he is believed to be a member of the powerful Medici family, which is always exciting. Yes, and his long fingers are gripping a round gold ground painting of a saint attributed to a 14th century painter named Bulgarini, which is actually inserted into the Botticelli canvas. So it's a really unique painting. Mm -hmm. And this like insert feature is actually one of the most controversial aspects of the painting. On top of the fact that the subject is much younger, both of these features are very unusual for a Botticelli work. Yeah, so it is truly like a masterpiece. Yes. Very unique. And the work was estimated to go for around $80 million. So although it's sold for more than that, it is not out of control like price and currently holds the highest auction record record of the year, even though it's only February. So, so we will see what happens. That might change. Yes. And the work also set a new auction record for the Renaissance painter and is the highest price paid for an old masterwork since Leonardo da Vinci's Salvador Mundi sold for $450 million in 2017. Yes. The work was purchased by billionaire Sheldon Solo in 1982 for around $1.3 million. And there are rumors that proceeds from the sale will be going towards the establishment of a private museum here in Manhattan. So that is something to keep an eye out for. The bidding at the auction, which was live streamed from New York, actually only lasted four and a half minutes and there were only two competitors competing for the work. Right. The winning bid was placed by a London-based staffer who is working with Russian clients and the underbidder was from Asia, although Sotheby's, as usual, declined to elaborate <laughs> further. It would be unprofessional to give out the client's identity. Very. <laughs> Sotheby's spent four months on its marketing campaign putting the painting on view in Los Angeles, London and Dubai and publishing an almost 100 page catalog with scholarly essays and technical analysis of the work and this is so crazy because for people who like are unfamiliar with auctions yeah. normally it's one page per work yes so correct. 100, 100 pages is excessive out of control <laughs> yes it's kind of sad that it only reached 92 compared to like because it's only twelve dollar or twelve million dollars over its estimate, over its high estimate for all the work that they did. Also, you know? the fact that it's months and months of work for an auction that lasts four, <laughs> four minutes. minutes is crazy. <laughs> yes, this focus on the larger advertising campaign is fascinating, as the actual auction was presented in partnership with the jewelry brand Bulgari, as reported by the arts newspaper. Quote: Sotheby's brought to you by Bulgari. 
product placement at auction has arrived with limitless potential. So this is product placement going into overdrive. The auctioneer, Oliver Barker, told the audience that he was wearing a watch by Bulgari and specialists in the old master department were wearing earrings, necklaces, and brooches all by the same jeweler. That's pretty cool that they got to do that. I would the, love that. I know, exactly. <laughs> but the R newspaper goes as far as to imagine a world in which each lot has its own unique sponsorship. So for example, Lot 31, the Ralph Laurent, Jean-Michel Basquiat. What's so interesting about the timing of this sponsorship is that online auctions are obviously just like a new reality that we're living in. And there's really nowhere else to look except on the auctioneer and people working at Sotheby's normally when you're in a bidding room it's so chaotic you're looking around who else is in the room and there's just so much going on yeah that you do pay closer attention to what people are wearing or exactly yeah. mm-hmm, I agree and although I doubt that auction houses would ever want to admit it as the article points out the opportunity to sponsor an auction has a potential to generate more revenue and sales commission which so, is crazy and if you're looking for a sponsor curated chat is available. (laughs) So continuing our auction house discussion, headline number two is a little bit of legal news and comes to us from Art News, where it was revealed that, quote, Mexico files legal claim over pre-Columbian art set to be auctioned at Christie's. So the National Institute of Anthropology and History, a division of the Mexican government dedicated to the preservation of cultural artifacts, has filed a legal claim over 33 pre-Columbian objects set to be auctioned at Christie's on February 9th in Paris. Yes, so a variety of objects have been scheduled to be sold, including sculptures, vessels, masks, plates, and figures from Aztec, Mayan, Toltec, Totonac, Teotihuacan, and Mixtec cultures. In a statement, the Institute has declared that Christie's, that the Christie's auction catalog includes pieces that correspond to cultures originating in Mexico, and that they are arguing that the work should be repatriated to Mexico because they were illegally obtained. And this is not the first time that an action like this has occurred. In September of 2019, the Mexican government called for the cancellation of a French sale of pre-Columbian artifacts at an auction house in Paris. However, the auction went on as planned and ended up generating a total of 1.2 million euros, which is about $1.4 million. So they weren't able to regain the lots before the actual auction. One of the top lots of the auction is a stone sculpture dated 600 to 1000 before Common Era, representing a goddess of fertility. The piece was discovered in the coastal region of the Gulf of Mexico in what is today known as Veracruz and has a high estimate of 900,000 euros. Another really high value lot from this sale is a greenstone mask said to resemble a fire god from the same period with a high estimate of 550,000 euros. This work is really interesting because it formerly belonged to French dealer Pierre Matisse, who is the son of French modernist Henri Matisse. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, the mask has previously been exhibited at venues in Venice and Paris and was sold at Sotheby's in May 2011 as part of the Pierre and Tana Matisse Foundation's collection. The lot sold for half a million dollars, making more than three times its estimate of $150,000. So it's crazy that it's been seen by so many people and only yes. now are actions yes. being taken. 
I'm actually taking a class right now called Art Law Ethics and Policies as a part of my art business master's program. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning so much about this type of issue. And obviously I knew they were difficult and complex, but here like reading about it and seeing the difference like six months can make, it Mm -hmm. does make sense that this was able to be seen before and only now actions are being taken. Yeah. Honestly, even though I'm from Mexico, I like don't really know a lot about these issues, especially because I don't know a lot about pre-Columbian art is sad but I have heard so much about how when people went to dig graves and like the archaeology sites and stuff they did it without permits and they resold the paintings in Europe or even in the U.S. or not the paintings the artifacts in Europe or in the U.S. and that's why like people were able to acquire them without paying any taxes or getting any papers to extract them from Mexico and I think it's so interesting that now the Mexican Ministry of Culture is putting more of an emphasis in repatriating these objects. And this also reminds me of a story we discussed in September of 2020 when an Egyptian stele was seized in New York on its way to be being shown at TIFAF yeah. as a part of a larger investigation into antiques trafficking. Yeah, I think there's a, a lot A lot of people are caring more about these issues because they are so important. And it is kind of shocking. Like even last year when we were at TIFAF, I remember I saw a lot of Mexican artifacts and I was like, who, like how do they get them? Who right. do they belong to? And just the fact that like, for example, even though they were in the Matisse collection doesn't mean that Matisse obtained them legally. Like it right. might have been like a trip to Mexico. And same thing with like African objects, like what when Picasso was painting and using them for inspiration oftentimes even though he got them at Trocadero in Paris they had not been legally obtained from Africa so it's just a very complex it's like an endless field exactly and I'm very curious to see where it goes very interesting our third headline comes to us from the art newspaper where it was reported that quote expert warned Getty Museum that its newly purchased Gauguin sculpture was a fake new article reveals so the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles was privately warned in 2000 2002 that a Gauguin sculpture it had just bought for around $4 million was a fake. A year ago, the museum finally admitted that the work, which is called Head with Horns, is not an authentic work. What is so wild to me about this story is that the Getty obviously had doubts on the authenticity of the work because a few months before they acquired it, the museum sent a researcher from LA to Paris to investigate, but she failed to resolve the question, so the matter remained unpursued with the Wildenstein Gallery, which had sold them the work. So there was it was questionable. Yeah, it was already questioned before and then they still went on to obtain the work. And I just think that's interesting. I appreciate that the Getty is being so open about this issue, even though it is a little bit late. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes institutions will try and hide these mistakes from the public. For sure. And they'll make a note within their own system that like this work cannot be displayed and then Mm -hmm. they'll keep it in the collection forever. Yeah. What makes matters worse is that this sculpture was exhibited at the Tate in London and then at the National Gallery in D.C. during 2010 and 2011 as part of a show titled Gauguin Maker of Myth, even after Anne Penjot, Francis Honorary General Curator of Heritage, warned them that the sculpture had a murky provenance. Yes, and what Penjot argued was that the sculpture had just sort of appeared at Wildstein and the gallery yeah. was unwilling to give experts any information about its provenance, aside from that it came from a private Swiss collector. I think what's yeah. so scary about provenance for so many works of art mm-hmm. is people try and remain so private right but you need to know information to track it right i agree and also in one of the getty articles that will be published pinjo goes so far as to say that gogan not only did not carve the sculpture but that he never even saw it 
Additionally, in 2002, before the Getty acquired the sculpture, the director of the Musée Gauguin in Tahiti said that this was probably a Polynesian sculpture made for a European buyer, so not even purely Polynesian. It reminds me of the tourist art. Yeah, from Africa. Yes. Yeah, is that it's like specifically made for tourists. But for our listeners who might not be aware and might not know a lot about Gauguin, he spent a lot of his time in Tahiti during the late 19th century, which is why the museum there has a lot of primary sources regarding his life and works and why it is so important that even they did not think it was a sculpture by him. I'm so excited to see where this investigation goes and how experts are going to determine who actually made the sculpture. Yes, and our newspaper notes that one avenue of research will be the examination of the wood used to determine where and when in the Pacific the trees had grown. It's so crazy that they're able to get that information. Yeah, and something so funny about this whole saga is that some scholars are arguing that it doesn't matter that it, this isn't a Gauguin sculpture since whoever made it appropriated his style so well. But obviously it matters because also the Getty didn't say how much they paid for it. Some experts have estimated it was between three to five million dollars, which would have definitely not been the prize. If it had been acquired as the work of an anonymous artist. It makes such a difference. Yeah, it makes such a difference. Our fourth headline is along the same lines of fake art, but perhaps worse. Artnet News reported that, quote, Austrian officials are searching for 21 works that a priest may have swiped from a Benedictine abbey. So a Benedictine abbey in Crimsmunster, Austria, a town of just over 6,000 people, has been shaken from its relative calm as its clergy deals with an ongoing investigation into a slew of historic missing cultural property. The theft was first made public last May and remains unresolved, but it reappeared in headlines last week when the Austrian Public Prosecutor's Office and the Federal Criminal Police circulated images of 21 pieces from the Abbey's collection that remain missing. The objects include 47 paintings and three 17th century firearms, and they were all reported missing last May after a custodian realized that 50 objects were missing during a routine inventory check. I think what is most concerning about the situation is that the main suspect is a former priest at the monastery who was actually in charge of the art collection. I agree, this is super concerning, specifically because the art collection dates back to the year 777 and has over 2200 paintings, which no one is allowed to sell or even lend to other institutions. They all must remain on site. Yes. And obviously, there are a lot of questions surrounding the priest's motive for doing this. And one explanation that has been made public is that he sold these objects to pay for the restoration of other objects in the collection. I think that is a nice idea. And it so much reminds me of these discussions surrounding deaccessioning yeah. that we've had recently. But I do have my doubts about this. They're, they could have done a fundraiser yeah. or something. A More bit, traditional. Yes. Yes. But thankfully, Austrian prosecutors have said that 20 objects have been retrieved from dealers and private collectors after the theft came to light. Obviously, so disappointing for the dealers and private collectors who probably assumed they received <laughs> full rights yes, to the exactly. work they purchased. But it's nice to see people doing the right thing and coming forward. And it's a great story. Yes. Another fun fact about this whole thing is that it's not the first time the Abbey has lost some of its items. Because in 2006, a Last Supper painting went missing, as well as a book of astronomical drawings worth about 30,000 euro. 
Well, I hope they're able to find all of these items. Yes. Authorities have estimated that the collective value of all the missing works of art adds up to be over $300,000. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely a significant loss. Yes. Our fifth and final headline of the day also comes to us from Artnet News, where it was reported that, quote, archaeologists have unearthed 2,000-year-old mummies with gold tongues at an ancient temple in Egypt. So archaeologists have found a group of mummies with gold foil tongues at Taposiris Magna in Western Alexandria. I love this headline because I feel like we both like modern and contemporary art so much and constantly learn new things about that, but never really immerse ourselves in ancient art. But maybe that's just me. So correct me if I'm wrong. No, I agree. I never was really able to take a class on ancient art. Same. But I love reading this article because I learned that the reason why they gilded their tongues was so that they could speak before the court of the god Osiris, the lord of the underworld and the judge of death. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Definitely very interesting to read about. I highly recommend everyone click on the link so they can see the photo because it's even like crazier than you would imagine. Mm -hmm. Led by Kathleen Martinez of the University of Santo Domingo, the team discovered 16 burials in the rock cut tombs that were popular during the Greek and Roman eras. Yes, Martinez is actually looking for Cleopatra's tomb, which she believes is at the site, even though other scholars think it's closer to the city of Alexandria, which is 30 miles away. But she has been looking around this area for over 20 years. That's a commitment. Yes. So Taposiris Magna, or Great Tomb of Osiris, was a city established in the 3rd century BC, and coins with Cleopatra's name and image have been found at the site, so maybe Martinez is on to something. We can hope so for her sake. We can only hope. (laughs) I love this headline, and I love learning something new. I would definitely love to visit Egypt at some point. I saw the Tutankhamun exhibition in Paris last year, and it was so fascinating and well done. I would love to see their real deal now. Egypt is my number one post-pandemic trip that I want to do. Yeah. I've always wanted to go and see the pyramids. And a little dark, but like I love seeing mummies. (laughs) No, me too. I think it's so cool. I think it's so cool. I love anything like that. I love all the relics they have in the churches. (laughs) The fingers. (laughs) I love it. So these are the headlines for the week, but we want to share a couple of emerging news stories with you. The first one is that according to the art newspaper, Damien Hirst's shipwreck treasure trove to go on show beside Galleria Borghese's classical works in Rome. We wanted to share this headline because we recently talked about the contrast of modern or contemporary art in more classical spaces. So this is particularly exciting, but also because Paige specifically brought up that when she visited Galleria Borghese recently, there were Picasso paintings and sculptures exhibited besides the Berninis and things like that. And you said how nice that was. It was one of my favorite shows I've ever seen because I loved that they were making a direct comparison Mm -hmm. between works that you wouldn't typically expect right and I think the same exact thing is happening here Mm her works are gonna look so cool in the space yeah I agree hopefully we can go see it I really hope so The second emerging story is very exciting and comes to us from Artnet, quote, how the Outsider Art Fair, New York's first IRL fair in nearly a year, managed to draw the crowds despite a pandemic and a blizzard. Truly insane. People are committed. (laughs) Yeah. Although there is a lot to say about this headline, we will keep it short. We just want to alert everyone to the fact that art fairs are starting to happen in person again, and we couldn't be more excited. Especially considering that some major art fairs such as Art Basel have sadly announced that although they will be happening they were pushed back again yes so it's nice to see but hopefully they actually happen (laughs) one can hope (laughs) so i think this is it for today and as we mentioned before stay tuned for a very exciting interview dropping next week and follow us on instagram at curated chatter for other updates thank you bye